I hope that there will be a trial of the Jackson companies for their culpability in this. And I, I, because I think it would be very interesting to see what happens in court. And I hope that those people will get a chance to testify about the system that they became part of, which was a system that was designed to deliver little children to Michael Jackson's bed. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Tourist Information. My guest this week is filmmaker Dan Reed, who has made many films since 2000, beginning with The Valley and most recently Four Hours at the Capitol and In the Shadow of 9-11. In 2019, he made what I think is his most famous film, Leaving Neverland, with Wade Robson and James Safechuck, uh, telling their story of their relationship and abuse at the hands of Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson died in 2008 and is the most lucrative dead celebrity on earth. In 2018, a decade after his death, his estate was earning $400 million. Over a million dollars a day, it has earned cumulatively $2.5 billion since Michael Jackson's death. They sued HBO for $100 million. And this, is, uh, this was a very powerful film where you saw major critics like Wesley Morris in the New York Times and Margot Jefferson um, really, I think, changing and settling their minds about all of these allegations that have lingered. The, the first allegation that I can find is 1979 from Terry George in the UK talking about Michael trying to initiate a form of phone sex with him. He was 12, Michael was 21, maybe he was 12 or 13. Um, but you see a very similar kind of blueprint with almost all of the allegations against Jackson. And uh, it is weird to consider all of our relationships with such a ubiquitous figure. I mean, in a weird way, I kind of think of him almost more as a brand than a human being. Um, Neverland Ranch, uh, you know, he was part of the childhood industrial complex in a way of everybody that I knew. I went to see him when I was four, when he came to Vancouver. A mesmerizing experience. And, uh, you know, a lot of these extraordinarily powerful brands, when we deconstruct it a little bit, they're targeting us as young as they possibly can um, to get you, to grab you with McDonald's or soft drinks or video games or whatever, um, where you just don't have the ability to sort of think critically about what they're offering. Just the fantasy and image and desire is so overwhelmingly powerful. And Michael was certainly that. And you see both characters in this film talk about the grooming began before they even met him. And we all have been exposed to the power of that as a society. And so I was really interested to talk to, to Dan about his film. Uh, it almost feels less of a film about interviews as just witnessing something with just incredible documentary footage throughout two home movies of these, these people's lives, revisiting um, something so traumatic and twisted and the seduction component of sexual abuse with minors. Jeez. Uh, so very fraught discussion. Uh, I think very necessary. Uh, it's just such a powerful issue that, that touches so many lives. And uh, I think Dan did a real service for people that are survivors from this kind of trauma. 
Um, and it's enormously controversial for defenders of Jackson. So probably we're both setting ourselves up to, to be attacked a lot. Uh, just, just by allowing him a platform to talk about this film and, and the issues it raised and illuminated. So Dan Reed is my guest this week, and thanks for listening to Tourist Information. So researching this, I was kind of horrified to learn that Michael Jackson is the highest earning dead celebrity in the world. And in 2018, his estate earned $400 million, over a million dollars a day. Um, so I wondered uh, what it was like for you the following year to produce a film that really seemed uh, to change and settle people's mind in a way that I can't think of anything else that had remotely the same impact as your film. Um, so I never, you know, set out to in any way modify the fortunes of the Jackson family or, or, or the estate. You know, it wasn't like a, I didn't pick Jackson as a target and then think, well, okay, how can I, how can I disrupt something here? It was, it, was really a very kind of minor development we call it which is where you you just kind of um investigate something a little bit just to see see what's there and you know usually there's nothing there and most developments don't produce a uh don't end up being a film but so this one was different because this one i just stumbled across these two guys and and it sort of went from there. So my interest really all along was was in these two guys and their story because I, I what I realised was that although there'd been all this um, uproar and all these stories around Jackson that that none of the uh, kids that he had allegedly molested had ever gone on the record to the press. And so I was like, that that that's weird. Um, and so how come no one's ever spoken before? And I thought, well, okay, these, so these guys are coming out now. And, uh, you know, if they'll, they'll go to court and they're adults now, maybe they'll speak on camera. And I, I thought it was really unlikely. Um, in fact, a lot of the best projects I've done have started out with like, nah, this will never work. <laughs> mm. um, and, then, and then, you know, uh, long story short, I found myself uh, sitting in front of them with a the camera. And then when I began to hear what they were telling me, I, I realized that my ideas about how child sexual abuse would happen in this kind of context were, were kind of wrong. And, um, and that this was a really detailed uh, journey that they were going to take me on. And it felt credible, um, just, just for the amount of detail and the complexity of it. Um, you know, I thought that straight away that someone who just wanted to make allegations, uh, you know, in order to launch a, like a frivolous court case or try and like, you know, pump some money out of the Jackson brand, you know, they, they, they wouldn't need to go into such depth or complexity. They would just go, yeah, you know, he grabbed me and, you know, stuff happened and they could stay, you know, keep it vague and, you know, and sort of have the same kind of superficially have the same impact. But, but these guys were, you know, really going into a lot of detail. And, uh, and in fact, that's one of the one things that I agreed with them early on is like, we guys, we have to go into the detail of the, of the sexual abuse, because otherwise, what are we talking about? You know, otherwise, 
this gray area remains of like, was he just being a little over affectionate or, you know, did he not really kind of quite understand whether the line between cuddling and something sexual actually should be drawn, you know? So there's, there's really no mistaking what happened right. when you listen to these guys telling their story. So yeah, that was shocking. And then, you know, I, I never really thought this is going to blow something up or this is going to be huge. I just thought, well, in fact, you know, for, for a long time, for the longest time, in fact, until literally like the Sundance premiere at the Egyptian theater, we thought, well, is, is this all kind of, you know, kind of priced into the, the way people think about Jackson? Is it, it you know, is are people actually going to go, yeah, yeah. We, what's new. We knew he was a kiddie fiddler. So, uh, you know, tell us something we didn't know, uh, and and that this would just the film would just be like a, a sort of a curiosity. Um, but but what always reassured me was I thought it was a really good film about how grooming and child sexual abuse actually happens when the abuser is someone trusted, uh, and and that it would I thought it would stand in its own right, you know, as a film about that, whether or not people cared that it was Michael Jackson. And of course, you know, I was like completely wrong on people massively cared that it was Michael Jackson. <laughs> and I, I bring up I bring up the 2008 figure to kind of establish that after his death, his image and his music had not just been rehabilitated, but it had almost been reinvented in, in a certain kind of way where you didn't have to deal with him being in the middle of it, in a sense. And this is somebody that, as far as I can tell, going back to 1979 is the first credible allegation by Terry George of establishing a friendship, uh, as you say, the complexity of the grooming process, all of the blueprint of what the latter, the later accusers would make sounds exactly the prototypical version of it is with Terry George in 1979. That's the first time I saw him interviewed was, was a Louis Theroux program. And I thought, I completely believe this guy. He is independently wealthy. He did not seek to have the allegation leaked to the press. Some friends had leaked it. And in a similar way to Robson and Safechuck, he was almost regretful that, that society was focusing on the three or four minutes of potentially 100 hours of conversation with Jackson that pertained to Jackson trying to initiate masturbation and impropriety because he wanted to reestablish the friendship that they'd had. He missed Michael. Um, so I just wonder if, if the allegations go back to 1979 when Michael was 21 uh, Terry George at the time was 13, which is a very similar pattern with, with these people that have come forward with their stories. Why did it take until what you had done with Safe Chuck and Robson and giving them the platform you did and the kind of scaffolding that you created for people to really understand this and understand that um, there was a, a seduction involved. There was love involved by their own accounts. Like, I, I guess I, I want to speak to that. And I say this as a, a child protection lawyer's son who, who wrote a textbook for social workers. Like, I just don't understand why this is such a misunderstood issue. I think it's the most kind of repulsive sexual crime, right? Any crime. 
I mean, ultimately, it's it's a more immoral crime in society than murder at this point. Hasn't been historically, but it is certainly now. Mm. So it's incredibly repulsive, and 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 because it just so happens that a lot of the perpetrators are trusted figures in society. You know, all too often the narrative is, you know, it's the priest or the music teacher or the the you know the the respected uh, the person who cares about children's development, right? Who turns out to, you know, and it's 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 this inability to accept that someone who you've put on a pedestal could possibly do these things, and that you you, you could have been engaged in, in like the adulation, or at least the respecting, or if not the worship, in the case of Jackson, of someone who was actually completely the opposite of certainly in, in respect to the way they treated children, completely the opposite of what they claimed to be. I mean, he was like. You know, children of the world come to me. Well, <laughs> right. You know, tr the truth is that he was he was harming many many children. So, I I think it's just it's a truth that people don't want to know. Uh, it's dirty, and I think for you know, in wider society, people don't want to know it. You know, because the reasons I just explained, and people don't want to confront that. So people don't want to know about that that shit. You know, it's it's ugly. It's horrible. But also, um, specifically in the case of Jackson, you know, he was just such a great good news story. You know, he was this kid who made it from, you know, really humble, difficult background and he'd, he'd become the world's biggest pop star. And, you know, and he was charming and he's charismatic and his songs were great. He's an amazing dancer. You know, why ruin it all for these kids? And I think that's still the attitude is like, yeah, OK, so, you know, maybe, but who cares? I, I think a lot of people just don't care that he was a pedophile. Yeah, you know, that's the way it is. It's just interesting to me, even critical opinion, like reading the glaring ambivalence of Wesley Morris in the New York Times to come to terms with the part and parcel that you can't have the music without this backstory. And what should we do about it? Or Margot Jefferson, who I think wrote the best book on Michael Jackson, and then after seeing your film, wrote an article in The Guardian to say, was I in denial, is, is the headline. Um, it is intriguing what people are having to grapple with and unpack in willing to see what was right in front of them in a very similar way to Jimmy Savile with what 300 million pounds raised for charity as a smokescreen. Yeah. Um, the Penn State situation with Jerry Sandusky, Jeffrey Epstein, Harvey Weinstein, um, many of the names that have been raised with the Me Too movement. But I wonder with Michael Jackson, I mean, I was thinking a parallel that was kind of intriguing um, is Lewis Carroll as somebody who uh, probably was the largest documenter of what is now viewed as child pornography. It was not at the time. These were standard Christmas cards in the Victorian era, um, but documented hundreds of children, all with their parents' approval. He has never been accused of impropriety. But after his death, a lot of the pages from his diary were torn out by relatives, presumably because there was something that they did not want known by society about his work. Now, there's an interesting thing about him that both Lewis Carroll and Roald Dahl are consistently voted as the most beloved authors for children. They are also the most consistently banned authors for children by adults. So there's a recognition of something subversive by adult society. Um, I, I wonder if you could just speak to that with Michael, just as you said, that so many people love this guy. As soon as he's dead, 
piles of money are pouring in. I'd never heard more Michael Jackson music in the last 15 years. Um, what is going on with people who have metabolized him to having this be part of the, a dominant theme or component of the narrative with their love of aspects of him? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's it, it's possible for people to hold Michael's Michael Jackson's music and his work and even his sort of his kind of image in, in, in very high esteem and, 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 and cherish that while also being aware of all these these stories about his pedophilia, mainly because um, and the, I, I think the estate and the Jackson sort of machine has worked very hard to create this. There have always been these little um, they've always been able to uh, introduce a little a small elements of doubt in people's minds. So, you know, it's like, oh, it's, it's all about the money is the big one, right? Where, and people don't, don't, don't think of like, well, what money? So, you know, no, neither James nor Wade has made any money. And um, the, only, the only kid who made any money was, was uh, Jordan Charlie, who was paid off. Uh, A know, fortune to, also, 20, huge, 24 huge million. Yeah, which, which today would be a vastly greater sum. Right. Um, uh, so, um, but he, I, you know, and there were several others who were paid off, right? But um, I think that that has all been sort of brushed to one side. There are all, there's always an excuse. There's always like a, a little a detail or a thing that, you know, like with, with my film, there was going about the train station, the train station, which in fact is a nothing burger because we found out the train station was actually built without a permit. So it was actually there when James said it was. And so that, that has mm. just actually gone away but um, they, they keep being all these tiny little things that people accept as like gotchas. And so therefore that kind of supposedly invalidates the whole, the whole narrative. And, and I think, you know, pe people are comfortable with that um, and, and it allows them to carry on worshiping. I think, you know, a lot of people remain committed to the Catholic faith despite revelations about Catholic priests, you know, um, and I, I've never been one for wanting to ban Michael Jackson's music. I, I think that's wrong. Um, but I think we have to be comfortable with the fact that, if comfortable is the right word, we have to be cognizant of the fact that, um, that you know, he liked to have sex with children and, that, that, that's, a, and, and that's caused terrible harm. Um, you know, I, I think it's possible for that to be integrated into his life story somehow without you know, accepting in any way that pedophilia is legitimate, but I think it's um, it's possible for people to accept that he was a pedophile and also was the artist that he was. Um, you know, um, unfortunately, you know, the truth is that a lot of art comes from very nasty, flawed people, and he was one of them. <laughs> right, and, and I mean, one thing I found interesting that I was trying to do some gymnastics to understand the gymnastics of other people that I've known is I know a number of people when the allegations against Woody Allen emerge will not see a Woody Allen movie, but have no problem seeing a Roman Polanski movie. Right. And even Mia Farrow herself actually testified on behalf of Roman, Fer uh, on Roman Polanski um, without really wanting to talk about that very much as she did her documentary about Woody Allen and, and, and likewise Ronan Farrow. And I, I don't quite understand 
what the parameters are where people want this person to be dismissed, but this other person with allegations, we should be dismissive yeah. and not take them as seriously. Yeah, it's it's all about, you know, the, a sort of critical mass of, of opinion, isn't it? Um, yeah. and, and a kind of a universality of, of basically cancelling that person. You know, and, and until that happens, if, if there are still large constituencies who who just won't, who just like, well, OK, so, you know, he molested some kids. Well, <laughs> fine, let's move on. What's, what's the next song? Um, I mean, that, that's the reality of it is people, you know, and they have an excuse. It's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, uh, leaving Neverland, which they usually haven't seen. Yeah, that was disproved, wasn't it? Just because like three people on Twitter said something and that, that's substantiated. Um, so I, I think that gives people, you know, that keep, gives people an escape, um, gives people a way to continue embracing that person. Um, and it's sad. It, it kind of makes you think, well, what is what would Michael Jackson actually have to do to be rejected by his fans? Uh, you know, would he actually have to? It's like, you know, Donald Trump said famously, and I paraphrase, you know, I could go down on Fifth Avenue and shoot someone in the head and my supporters would still vote for me. Right. It's kind of like that. It just doesn't matter because he's one of us. He's our guy. And so it doesn't matter what he's done. He could, you know, murder his whole family in cold blood. It just doesn't matter. Um, he's still our guy. And I think, you know, there's a large section of the American population for whom for whom that's true. And, and worldwide, he's got his fans. And, you know, um, it's not everyone who wants to sit down to, to watch four hours of detailed, patient, painful, testimony from these kids and I think you know the reason the film is so bloody long is that it takes that amount of time to to actually go on the journey and understand get into their heads sufficiently and into their mother's heads to understand how this all happened because uh, Jackson was a very very skilled groomer of little children and you know he he wasn't the stranger in the dirty raincoat at the school gates you know he was someone who everybody adored well, and I was thinking, I mean, some other names that came to me as I was re-watching your film, Elvis Presley was 24 when he first started da dating Priscilla, who was 14. Yeah. Don't hear that brought up very much. John Lennon admitted to Rolling Stone in 1970 that he was a serial batterer of women. You almost never hear that brought up because mm. um, we like these people. Yeah. J JFK, uh, there's a uh, HBO documentary on Ben Bradley, where Bradley's wife, or, or another woman in the film, it might have been Bradley's ex-wife, said that JFK attempted to sexually assault her. We hear mm. about him as a womanizer. We don't hear about him as a predator, despite you know some credible allegations there. Mm. Um, how America is just sort of dealing with this whiplash of people who are idolized, that um, there's a lot more that comes with them ultimately, and what drove them into that position. Like, uh, Michael Jackson seems somebody who, as much as we were addicted to him, he was addicted to us. And it didn't work out well for either of us. Mm. I mean, I think you're probably in a better position to answer those questions than I am, being American. You know, I'm I, Canadian. I, 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 Canadian. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. We're both uh, outsiders. <laughs> um, you know, I, I started this. I, I came at this film from a very narrow perspective. And, you know, Mike, if you look at my work before leaving Neverland, it has nothing to do with culture, celebrity, or music. Uh, there's, there's, there's really nothing uh, to suggest that I would go on to do leaving Neverland. So I, I, it's literally like a dogleg into a different territory and, and, and one which I hadn't really followed up. 
Um, uh, although I hope to do a, a sequel to Leaving Neverland, but that's because I'm already kind of in, I'm already following those two, those two young guys. Um, so this really all started with me from Wade and James, and I got interested in them. And, you know, I think the film's very solid because it just looks at what happened to them. And then everyone can fight over what Michael Jackson means to the world, but I don't really care because my story is about what these little children had done to them uh, and not about the guy who did it to them. You know, he's just the, he's just the guy who commits the abuse and he could, he could literally be anyone, but he happened to be Michael Jackson and that's why the film blew up. Um, so, so I kind of don't give a fuck about who Michael Jackson was, really. Um, and I don't care what he represents uh, because I didn't go in there to take him down and I didn't go in there to uh, destroy an idol. I went in there to tell the story of two little boys who were raped by someone who had no limits on his power, who had no limits, who had no accountability to anyone who felt he could do exactly as he pleased with these two little children and many others besides. And, and I thought that is a good story to tell in detail because it illustrates what happens, as you say, in so many spheres, not just entertainment, but politics, you know, anywhere where someone has a, a, an outsized kind of position of influence and trust. Um, and anytime we idolize someone, that, that, that person is then tempted to to capitalize on the power that gives them, you know? And, and what is the thing people want? If, you, if I give you complete power, what do you want? You know, and, and you're going you're gonna to want, you're going to do the things you've, you've most wanted to do. And if the thing you most wanted to do is what Michael Jackson did to little kids, then that's what you're going to do. And you're, you're going to, I mean, he, he, he didn't really bother to hide it very much. I mean, you know, what I always ask, and this is my, there's a story in the Daily Beast today, which, which quotes me saying, you know, has anyone ever explained why he wanted to spend so many nights in bed alone with really little children? What was he doing? And no one's like, no one's ever offered an answer to that. It's like, oh, you know, he just he was like a big child, and you know, that's all was the usual sort of horseshit. He didn't have a childhood and all that. Well, if you don't, you know, you didn't have a great childhood, doesn't mean that you have to spend nights in bed with other people's children that doesn't follow right so, well, so um so you know i'm uh, i know it's a it's a great starting point for a, a very broad discussion about america's cultural anguish you know and 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 the schism in america and of course i know that michael jackson means a lot to a lot of particularly african-americans because he, he was an incredible success story and and uh you know i don't want to get in the way of that i just I'm a, you know, I'm a, a simple old, you know, British documentary filmmaker who latched onto this story about two little, two little, two guys, and you know, I'm stubborn and I'm, I'm, I'm thorough, and I, I did my job, and my job was to tell their story, and that's where it ends. Well, no, and, and and I applaud your approach. I mean, I think it's diametrically opposed in some respects to what OJ Made in America did, which itself was magnificently successful to go macro, you went micro. But I do think one of the things that really caught me by 
I forget if, if James said it or Wade, is that they were groomed before they met him. So to say, I don't give a fuck who Michael Jackson was, but you have to, because I was a little boy at four who went to see Michael Jackson in concert. I imagine that- You had a narrow escape, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but there was something about the way he was grooming, not just them, but everybody. And I find that particularly interesting because I think in, in America, like this is still a country where most states allow you, this is like my dad told me when I was a kid, is who's the only person you can legally assault in, in society is a, is a child. Right. A teacher can assault you and a parent can assault you. Why, why are you not, why are you the only one who's exposed to this, to, mm -hmm. to being um, you know, legitimately attacked physically? So I feel like what we're kind of talking about with Michael and, and what Michael was always talking about was innocence is paramount preserving innocence, restoring his own innocence, reinventing it. I live in Neverland. Neverland is me, he said in one interview. Um, but all of this, as you say, is about him using this to lure people in to his world to do what it seemed like he most wanted to do with, as you say, total autonomy, total agency to realize his fantasies. And not only does he not hide it, but it's right in your face. All of it is an advertisement for it in a way yeah. for these kids. Um, I, I, could you speak to that when- I mean, when, yeah, he's, he's also telling you I'm bad and- And and, and I'm a monster. I'm transforming into monsters yeah, all the time. Exactly. He's, he's telling you that. And, you know, he was bad in, in a really bad way. <laughs> and, right. and, um, and, and so he was kind of telling us about it. Uh, I, I think there are plenty of lyrics if you, if you want to drill down into it that-, that where he he kind of suggests intimates that that there's more to him than than what you see him that there's a really dark side to him and you know he wasn't kidding um but yeah i mean he's <laughs> he 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 created this world literally uh he created a playground for children and he invited children into it i mean it's very you know i i i think if you ask me what was he thinking i i don't think he was in his world that he was certainly part of him didn't probably didn't think he was doing anything wrong and he thought that he was he had a sort of god-given right to have sex with these kids as part of some kind of the deification of his his persona and i think he thought he was like a demigod um who could have his way with children and it wouldn't be bad it wouldn't be wrong you know and then of course he's also very shrewd and he knows that society thinks it's wrong and you can get put in jail for it um, so I think, you know, he was, he was super smart. He was very clever. He was very charismatic. He had a lot of qualities that people admire. Um, and, you know, he, he was also a pedophile and that those, those, those are not irreconcilable things. You know, there's a lot, a lot of people who are very high achievers and have done all sorts of amazing things who are very bad people. I mean, just guys live with it. You know, it's like, we've got to accept it. It's, just because you do something really well doesn't mean you are a good person. And I know it may sound trite to say that, but uh, for, you know, unfortunately, we worship people who who are brilliant at what they do, and 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 that becomes worship of the person instead of the thing they do. And it's it's almost impossible to 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 divide the two. And I think you know, but 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 I you know. I think for some people it's difficult to listen to a Michael Jackson track, but for others it's it's fine, um, and they can still listen to the music while knowing what he did. Um, 
I, you know, I don't have problem with either way of doing it, but um, I, I do think that completely denying that he was sexually involved with children is wrong. Um, I mean, I, I would have thought that the Jackson Corporation, if you want to call it that, you know, the, the, the estate and the companies would at the very least adopt a sort of modern corporate policy of, of holding an investigation into what happened, right? If, 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 if we said suddenly, like, I don't know, the, the, the chairman of Unilever or the, the head of, I don't know, sort of some prominent political figure, some prominent person in the corporate world had done something absolutely terrible, there would be an investigation. The first thing that the corporation would do would be like, okay, let's hit pause, let's send this person home, let's conduct a thorough investigation. Our brand does not need these kind of allegations or, or suggestions associated with it. Let's make sure we clean this up. That's what a modern corporation, a modern brand would do, right? But instead, they Hopefully. have... Yeah, well, instead they've pivoted to the old playbook, which is smear your accusers, throw as much money and as many expensive lawyers and as many gangsters as you can. You know, I'm thinking of Anthony Pellicano, who sure. was out of jail not, not so long ago, and, and make it go away, pretend it never happened. And that's what they continue to do. And I just don't think it's a, it's a long-term strategy for success. I think, you know, sooner or later, it's gonna, the wheels are going to come off. Um, well, it seems like you're suggesting that them having earned $2.5 billion might incentivize them to discredit you. How cynical. Oh, yeah, that, that's, that's an outrageous suggestion. I, I really don't see how you put that together in, in your mind, you know. Um, yeah, it is of course, uh, it, it is all about the money, and it's not about the money, the fictional money that James and Wade never never came near. It's about the real money that people are making on the back of Jackson's brand. You know, I don't know what he, I don't know what he would have said if he was alive. You know, I don't know whether, and the guy was very troubled. Obviously, I don't know whether if he'd been allowed to stay alive long enough, he'd be, if he'd been sent to jail for molesting Gavin Arvizo, he'd probably still be alive and we'd probably be able to ask him a lot of questions about, you know, what what was going through his mind. Yeah. How he justified having sex with children to himself, but um but we can't because you know he he threw a lot of they threw a lot of lawyers at, at Gavin and discredited him and then got away with it. I find this so interesting that you offer advocacy, I mean, if that's a fair way to put it, on behalf of these two victims of Michael, that you're kind of a monster from their point of view to attack the legacy of Michael Jackson and all these fans, and I've seen them. I mean, even I posted an interview with Louis Threw just mentioning that we discussed Michael Jackson, and I've never had so many comments of people just saying, don't platform him, that he's he's disgusting. It was so disreputable what he did. And I mean, all he did was speak to one person of an entire documentary um, yeah. who had a credible allegation with no motive to, to discredit Michael. But, but what I, I wanted to get at that I thought was such a powerful component of your film and, I, and how you explored it is what, what I want to understand is the families behind um, your two central characters and the ways in which they were groomed 
And, and also the response to them has been so fascinating in terms of a kind of referendum morally, um, because there's just a film that's become a huge success on Netflix called The Tinder Swindler. And this is a guy pretending to be uh, the son of a billionaire luring women into this lifestyle. And there's nothing that the women ever talk about beyond the lifestyle that's making them fall in love with him. And there's yeah. been a lot of victim shaming from their point of view. But I wonder, in the case of the parents of these two kids and the other parents, what is their responsibility? Like, is somebody who perpetrates these crimes, is that where it ends and everybody else is a victim? Or um, should these parents have done more? They're getting houses, green cards, like a lot of financial re re remuneration. Um, what was it like for you to navigate what feels like a, a, a real minefield of problems and, and, and how they were navigating a minefield of problems in hindsight. Yeah, I mean, the hardest thing for people to accept is that, like I said, Michael Jackson didn't snatch these kids from the school gate. They were delivered into his bedroom by their mothers. Whew, yeah, yeah. Okay, and as Stephanie Safechart said, uh, I had one job, I had one son, and I fucked up. That's what she says in the film. And yeah, they fucked up. Uh, now, again, my, my job is to tell their story. I'm not going to judge them. Would I ever, I have three kids, would I ever allow my children to, you know, sleep in the same bed as any other adult who is not me or their mother? No, of course not. Um, so, you know, trying to imagine why someone would let their little child, their seven-year-old sleep with in the bed of someone who actually they, they'd really only just met, although they felt like they'd known Michael their whole lives. You know, there's this the, the sort of remote grooming effect, if you like. Um, yeah, that's nuts. It's fucking crazy. Why would you do that, you know? But I, I got to know Joy Robson. She's not a monster. She's not a bad person or a careless person. Um, and I think Jackson was just, you know, I mean, his grandma, I interviewed his grandmother, uh, Wade's grandmother from Australia. And they all, they, these were good, naive, ordinary people, you know. Um, his mom worked in a department store. His dad sold fruit and vegetables, you know, had a grocery shop. Um, Jackson could do no wrong. He, he was just an amazing, beautiful, good person right, who loved children and displayed an extraordinary loving interest in their son, which they recognized, and their son, who was incredibly talented, talented, who really was incredibly talented. You, you, know, you see the video of Wade, age five, dancing on the stage in, in uh, Brisbane. Um, so, so it never crossed their mind there could be a sexual element to it. But, 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 I, but I do think also is that like the Harvey Weinstein casting couch component of Michael. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you like, these were, yeah, these were, just, I think it's fair to say these were like stage months, right? That they, they, they call wanted, themselves that. They, yeah, they, they do refer they, to themselves that. They, they, wanted, they wanted their kids to, to, to be successful. They were attracted to the glamour of, of the whole thing. And, and yeah, I mean, they, they did something that a lot of us can't conceive of doing, which is, you know, to let their kids spend the night with an adult who, who who's who's basically a stranger um and you know i i think it's too sim too simplistic to say you know they prostituted their children that's that's just not the case 
Um, and I, I'm absolutely certain that none of them would have done it if they'd known what was happening, right? So it's not like Michael Jackson said, okay, in exchange for having sex with your seven-year-old, I will give you a green card. That's not what happened, okay? That's not what happened. It was, yeah, they should have known. They should have, maybe, I don't know. But, um, you know, I think uh, my job is to get you to walk a mile in their shoes. And I'm not sure at the end of Leaving Neverland, do you think these people are more responsible than the predator or as responsible as the predator? I don't think so. I think they're victims as well. I mean, he focused a lot of, you know, love and energy and attention on these women in order to, to, to get their kids from them. Uh, and then, and then did everything he could to, to separate them from their kids. Um, so yeah, they were manipulated. They didn't know that sex was involved, but clearly there was a quid pro quo and they should have been a lot smarter about it, but you know, they weren't and their kids paid the price. I guess I bring it up also because right now in the United States, um, some of the police officers who were witnessing what was being done to George Floyd are being prosecuted, that they should have their silence is not tantamount that they were a victim to a policeman over abusing his power. They had an obligation to do something to protect this victim of a crime. Well, yeah, I, I mean, that, that makes complete sense, doesn't it? I mean, as a- Oh yeah, absolutely. But, but the, the ambiguity of the situation in your case, there's some overlap, but also as you're, as you're delineating some of the differences, they didn't explicitly know what was going on, but to get a house, in order to have your son testify on behalf of this man, um, it seemed like she really had not put any thought into that being a quid pro quo. I, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure that's exactly what happened, but you know, I have to. Well, she uh, says it in the interview that you have yeah. with her. She says it. You know, if you look at the timing of when I get the house versus it looks bad, yeah. yeah, it looks bad. So, like, it, well, it looks more than bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It looks like a quid pro quo. Certainly they entered into an unhealthy relationship with Jackson. And, you know, I think he, he only targeted families that were vulnerable with people who would enter into an unhealthy relationship with him. So that, that's, that was the criteria. And that's like, you're, that's first base. You know, you, you have to be susceptible. You have to be the kind of person who would be blinded by the glamour, blinded by the gifts, blinded by the celebrity. Um, and, you know, not everyone is. So, you know, he picked his targets based on that and, and, and that gave him a lot more leverage. Um, you know, the, these individual mums, you know, they, so they enter the scene, they enter the picture, then their kids are or not um, uh, introduced into Jackson's bed. Um, and then they kind of exit when he's done with them. Um, but there were a lot of people around Jackson who worked with him, who looked after him, who looked after his interests, who represented him, who saw a succession of children and a succession of mothers pass through the gates of Neverland. What's their responsibility? I agree. Well, and there was a Vanity Fair article that talked about 10 indisputed items about Michael Jackson, whether you agree with um, these, these two accusers in your film. Um, and one of them was that everybody ever interviewed by the police inside of Neverland claimed that he never slept with an adult, male or female, in his bed. It was only children. Mm -hmm. 
including yeah. his two <laughs> ostensible why. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I have to say, you know, I, as part of the the process of making Leaving Neverland, I spoke to a bunch of the detectives from, uh, you know, Santa Barbara Sheriff's Department and from the LAPD. None, not a single one of them was in any doubt whatsoever that Jackson was was a pedophile. And, and, and there's, you know, if you look at the evidence that was um, proposed, even during the, the, the 2005 trial, there's a, there's a whole bunch of things that weren't admitted in evidence that were, you know, I think, pretty, um, were pretty, uh, would, would have been very damaging to his case. So, so um, you know, it wasn't like uh, it was difficult to figure out what was going on. Um, and there were also a whole bunch of people who worked in the Jackson household. So not, not people who had any response, you know, that were not complicit with him, if you like, who didn't share in the, the wealth. They were not part of his, the team that monetized the Jackson phenomenon, but they were the housemaid and the cook and, the, you know, the butler and what have you, the driver. And many, many of them saw uh, Jackson um, behaving suspiciously or having sex with kids. And, uh, and many of them gave testimony but they were discredited because you know they were paid by this um this channel or that channel they were paid for their story a lot of them were very poor uh you know illegal immigrant minimum wage that kind of thing and and so their names were were already smeared and so i i decided to step back from all that and and not put them in the film because that would just make the whole thing a rehash of all of the previous circuses and allegations around around Jackson I didn't I, I wanted this to to kind of start from zero to start from scratch like take two kids this is their story um but there is a lot of corroborating evidence external corroborating you know uh, testimony for for their stories sure, um sure. and and you know unfortunately the people who um who were able to provide that testimony uh, many of them kind of got demolished and jumped on by the the Jackson machine and and discredited and i think that's you know it's very painful for a lot, for, for a lot of them um i hope that there will be a trial of the jackson companies for their culpability in this and i, I because i think it would be very interesting to see what happens in court and i hope that those people will get a chance to testify about the system that they became part of which was a system that was designed to deliver little children to michael jackson's bed when you talk about somebody who has such a fervent fan base and some of the response to the to this film, it seemed like the more accurate or illuminating it was, the more it was going to piss these people off. Yeah, exactly. It's a cult. It's a cult. So yeah. you, you can't, it's like, it's like um, saying stuff against someone's God or someone's religion. I mean, you're not going to, there's just no way to, by definition, you cannot, criticize that person because they are above and beyond criticism. And that's, that's Jackson's status. So it really doesn't matter what, how much proof you can, you could, you could, you could have a video of Jackson caught in the act with a, with a seven-year-old child and it wouldn't make any difference. Right. No, no. I mean, almost by definition, it's a sacred value that they hold. Yeah. So any opposition is immoral. Um, but for, I know a lot of people highlighted the same scene where they went, I can't go back, which was as, uh, Jimmy was talking about getting the, the wedding ring with Michael oh, yeah. and that, that whole ceremony. Um, I wonder, you, you achieved something that I think is extraordinarily difficult. Two people that have are admitting at the beginning of the film that part of their seduction involved them being willing to lie 
for this person that they were in love with, who now come off as so remarkably credible. I mean, so many people did believe these people and changed their mind as a result of their testimony. But what is the challenge for you as a filmmaker and an interviewer to deal with people where there's the instant built-in rejection of everything they're saying because they've gone to trial, they've sworn under oath, and they've admitted that they lied? Um, again, I think highlighting the ambiguity of victims of this kind of abuse. Yeah, I mean... I think Wade explained it really well. Um, and that was really important to, for him to explain why he lied. You know, he was defense witness number one. And he's probably, you know, one of the main reasons why Jackson didn't get didn't go to jail. Okay. Right. So um so he had to explain in the film why why the hell he did that. Um and I think he does a great job of explaining it. It, you know, it's it's I, I could have put in like experts on child sexual, you know, and I interviewed an LAPD detective who was actually involved in the Jackson case. And he, you know, he, I think he, he'd done something like 5,000 child, child sexual abuse cases in his career. He was, he was retired when I interviewed him. And he said, you know, they, that people very seldom come out at the time, you know, they, and they lie and they cover because they, they're in love with the predator, the abuser. And the abuser is an important person to them. They don't want to see them come to harm. And they, they, they often um, learn a lot or they're, you know, the abuser is a mentor. Um, the lies begin immediately. You, you, so you tell your mom, no, well, nothing happened, you know. And so you've been lying to your mom and your dad and family and all your friends. And when it's the case of someone as famous as Jackson, you've been lying to the world for, for, for years. And so to stand up and then say, you know, actually, he did. Um, takes extraordinary, I think, beyond courage, it, 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 because it's it's like a, it's it's a, you know, the consequences are devastating. You're going to get, you know, you could, as as Oprah Winfrey said, you know, we're we're going to get it, and you know, we're all going to get it, <laughs> and and these guys got it, you know, and, and they just there's there's no money, there's not being showered with money, they're being showered with abuse and shit. So, um, you know, I think. Wade is ex an extraordinarily stubborn, hard-headed individual, and and it's really his decision to go. No, I'm going to draw a line now, and I'm going to step over that line, and I'm going to be in a new world where I tell the truth. Okay, um, I you know I I think he tells that story, the story of how he crossed that line, very convincingly, um, and so I think that's there. It is also the the phenomenon of late disclosure is one that is is absolutely part of the boilerplate child sexual abuse victim you know um playbook it's it's just it, it's just that it's just a fact that people don't disclose for many many years and most people i think never disclose at all right this is very inconvenient and there's a there's a kind of interesting uh like parallel with your two subjects in that when the abuse starts to when you're speaking to them, Jimmy seems to retreat. He becomes depressed. Like all, all of the testimony that his wife gives is, is really harrowing stuff. But you see with Wade, this career launching, and he's so transformative. His accent is constantly changing. You hear the Australian. He sounds like he's from New York. Um, at, at some point when he's talking about like defending Michael and his hair is blonde, uh, the clothes are changing all the time. He is seems like I don't mean this in a demeaning way, but like very much a chameleon. 
as if this shape-shifting quality, some way he can run from this core thing in his life in some, in some sense. Um, I wonder what it was like for you going through all of this incredible archival you had of both of these lives and then Michael's life and the intersection, um, how you pieced it together the way you did, because it was like I was watching home movies of these yeah. two lives. They were so well documented. Yeah, I mean, that, that was extraordinary. Um, and uh, uh, you know, speaking as a filmmaker, we were just very lucky. Uh, yeah. in having the material to piece together that story. You know, I, I, I think there is a consistency in Wade's narrative, which is he's consistently reinventing himself. Right. right. He's, consistently re he's consistently remaking himself because he's a very, very, um, he's a really super smart and very able guy. And he's able, he has the discipline and the self-control to, to re remake himself. And, that, and, he's, and he's been through several phases of that. But I guess, you know, he's learned to do that by, you know, I think he was choreographing Britney Spears at the age of, you know, he wasn't even 20. He was like very, he was putting on big shows when he was very young. Um, and I think that gives you, makes you extraordinarily self-possessed and also aware of how you come across and, and kind of precise in how you present yourself. Um, and so all of those qualities are his. It's not, it's not like he doesn't know who he is. He, he, he knows who he is and he understands the conflicts I mean, he's certainly able to, he's persuaded me that, he, you know, he understands the conflicts within him and he's able to articulate them, but, but he's just very, very capable. And I think that's, you know, that sort of intelligence and that hardheadedness is one of the reasons why he's kind of, he's been able to pull off, you know, going from Jackson's greatest defender to, to, you know, um, and to being his biggest accuser, his most powerful accuser, um, and 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 make that make sense, you know. I think that's quite that's quite an achievement. Um, and and you know, I think what he's always guided by is well, cer certainly now. I don't know whether he, you know, looking back, whether he would say he was always guided by a, a commitment to truth. Maybe you know, maybe he wasn't, but maybe he was guided by a commitment to Jackson. I mean, I think his commitment to Jackson was extraordinary. And and once once that faded. I think he was left with a void, and and I think you know that made that made him reconsider the, the whole relationship and what had happened. So it's not that these guys have forgotten that they were abused, and have somehow then like remembered it later. They always knew that they had a sexual relationship with Jackson, but their the value they attached to that changed. Right, the way the way the impact of that on them and their development uh, became clearer to, to them over time. Um, so, yeah, people say, oh, well, you know, how come he just conveniently remembered, you know, once Jackson died, then he remembered that he'd been abused. No, that's not the case. You know, the case was that, that they were, this guy had an extraordinary sort of huge kind of pulsating presence in their lives. And then once he was gone, they began to, to reassess, you know, um, and I think, you know, and I think for James, it had probably happened a little bit earlier because I think he, he, you know, he intimated to his mom and she doesn't seem to have really pursued this or tried to understand it at the time, but he, he kind of hinted to his mom that Michael was, did bad things. Right. Uh, before he died. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's, I think it also feels a little, I was aware of thinking of Michael less as a human being than as a brand. And when I thought about other brands, 
I was thinking like they're all kind of pedophiles in a way. They're all like, no, not all of them, but many of them. Capitalism has a, a, a real dark theme of, of course, they're trying to get you as early as they possibly can. So you have no memory without them. McDonald's is there. So I will badger my parents into submission, despite all of the unhealthy qualities of the food that they have to do it because it's tied in with another movie that's targeting me that I need that toy to go to school to be accepted. Like there's a Michael was a kind of mechanism in a similar way for children, I think. To dress like him, to dance like him, and yeah, I mean that, that's that's Michael the brand and the businessman. But you, you don't have to have sex with kids in order to monetize your influence on them. I don't mean sex. I mean seduction. Right. Yeah. Well, seduction. You know, I think I think that's one of the things that the word seduction is interesting in this context. And that's one of the things that um, I think Oprah really kind of added. One of the really useful things she added to 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 that sort of. Um, bubbling cauldron of, of of the immediate aftermath of leaving Neverland, which she said uh, on that platform, um, the you know, the, the special that she did the immediate, straight after the HBO broadcast, she said, you know, child sexual abuse should be called child sexual seduction because because that's what happens. It's, it's it, you know, abuse conveys the image of someone forcing themselves on someone else. And, uh, you know, we think of rape and assault. And of course, it is rape and assault, but it's it's rape and assault with, with what, um, it's a rape and assault because the child is too young to consent. Right. You know, if, if you transposed the actions to someone who's over the age of consent, then it's not rape. It's, it, it, you know, but, but doing the things with, a, doing the things you do with a, a 25 year old, doing them with a seven year old, is wrong, I think. Okay. Oh no, of course, but it's also incredibly confusing for a child who trusts an adult, trusts an yeah. authority figure, knows that society adores this authority figure, and their first sexual awakening is at the hands of that person. Yeah. It is yeah. enormously confusing. And then you're rejected. And then you're rejected. I think you know that was one of the most poignant moments in, in both the interviews that you realize that the huge amount of harm that was caused when that attachment was severed yeah and and, and that even though jackson carried on having sex with them even into their teens um the the big relationship the big romance the big love story if you can call it that or the you know what was actually the big you know the the, the pedophile crime that took place was focused in in a period when you know i think between the ages of seven and nine for Wade and, um, and, and sort of, you know, 10, 13 for, for James, um, but was relatively short, you know, the, the period when they were like the full on Michael Jackson's boyfriend was yeah. really, really short. Uh, and at its, at its height, it was just a few months. So, um, so you had a window uh, of, of what a period he seemed to fetish. Yeah. The, the, yeah. There's, there's a window of like, it's just, you and me and you know the world, and you're in the center of this whirlwind of performances and limos and hotels and traveling or you know netherland and all the fairy lights and you know it's it's um i mean it's an intoxicating formula uh, which he applied to i think child after child and 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 it makes you lose your head and 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 then suddenly that's withdrawn and i think that's hugely damaging as well um and and 
you know, created incredible resentment and, and, but, you know, he still had his hook in them until, until they were much, much older. Um, but I think, you know, that's part of the damage that they inherited from that relationship. It wasn't just the sexual act. It was the, the emotional exploitation. Yeah. Uh, last two questions. Um, one is what you made of Macaulay Culkin coming out because it seems like he is exactly in the wheelhouse of this blueprint that Jackson had, and he he claimed he saw say, nothing. Right. When you say coming out, what do you mean? I, I mean coming coming out after your film to say oh, right. to offer oh, testimony. Happened. Well, maybe maybe I, nothing coming happened, out was a wrong choice of words. So, I'm I'm not um you know I I it's perfectly possible that Jackson and Macaulay Culkin didn't have sex. Of course it is. And, you know, I, I'm not in the business of trying to expose people as victims of pedophilia. I'm, I'm not, you know, I've never, I, I, I deliberately didn't go and like, you know, doorstep Macaulay Culkin and shove a camera in his face and I, say- I wasn't trying to suggest that you were. I, I was just saying it just seemed interesting. Yeah, um, it is. I, I, I think the fact that it, that Macaulay says it didn't happen. Well, Wade said it never happened, uh, but also maybe it didn't happen. I mean, you know, I'm sure Jackson didn't manage to, um, seduce every single child he was with. I mean, just, you know, externally, it looks as certainly Jackson lavished attention on Bacoli in the way, in a similar way to the way he lavished attention on, on Wade and James, but that doesn't necessarily mean, and, you know, and I put a, a card very prominently at the end of part one of Leaving Neverland, which says, you know, that Macaulay has consistently denied that, 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 he, that anything took place, anything kind of improper or sexual took place. And, you know, I, I accept that Macaulay's living his life and I wish him all the very best. I've got no intention of, uh, and I don't think it's, it's, it's straight, you know, he's, I wouldn't presume to say whether he is covering up something that happened or whether he is just stating a fact that um, nothing, um, no, there was no hanky panky be between him and Michael. You know, I, I just don't know. And I kind of, again, you know, I go back to, this is Wade and James story for me. And which is why I raised it, because it was intimated by Wade. I have lost a role that is now assumed by Macaulay Culkin. I was supposed to be in the black and white music video. I'm not because yeah. Macaulay has taken my role. Yeah. So it seems worth Certainly it. All that. I mean, you know, uh, that there's, there's ample evidence for that. It's, it's blindingly obvious that, yeah. that um, Macaulay was, was, was the apple of Michael Jackson's eye for a while in the same way that um, James, James, Sechark and, and Wade had been before, but but you know I, I think we have to I have, we have to draw the line there, and I, I don't think we can you know I, I wouldn't presume to to say what happened behind closed doors. Yeah. Um, last question is: You mentioned a desire to make a sequel of this film. Can you speak a bit to what that why that is and what you would like? Yeah, to because you know the, the the way these two guys Wade and James came to my notice was that I the, I came across a. I think an article or a, or a or an, an announcement that you know there were there were legal proceedings taking place. So, um, and it turned out they were taking Michael Jackson's companies to court, and that's how I found out about them. So, way before they met me, they had already begun legal proceedings against Michael Jackson's companies and the people who they say colluded in the exploitation of of little children for on behalf of Jackson. So. Um, I just want to follow that process to its conclusion. And, you know, maybe, you know, the, the, both cases, Wade and James cases have been thrown out once. They went up to the appeal court. They were sent back down to the trial court. Then they were thrown out again. And that's right, right now they're, they're pending appeal. So um, 
and we'll see how far it gets. You know, it's very difficult. They, the what I should make very clear is that neither on neither occasion when they were thrown out was any of the evidence or any of the allegations discussed. It, this wasn't the judge never made a ruling about whether or not Michael Jackson was a pedophile, or whether or not Wade and James were telling the truth. He never considered that question. It was all about can, is it possible under California law? Is 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 there a way to sue these companies for, for these two young men to sue these companies? Is it you know so it was a procedural if you like it was a procedural. Um, reason for which the cases were dismissed and 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 so we've got to get to the end of that sort of procedural road before Wade and James can get in court and have their day in court which I sincerely hope they do right thank you so much for your time today this is my cat's chat <laughs> <laughs> inopportune timing Raul um thank you so much though I really appreciate your time with this I I really really admire your work with this and and several of your other films as well thank you very much for the opportunity Definitely. All right. Thanks so much, Dan. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Tourist Information. The producers are George Alarcon Swaby and myself, Bryn Jonathan Butler. Please subscribe or rate the podcast. It helps us to keep bringing them out. Thanks again for listening.